Paul asks a rather unusual question in verse 5 when he says, Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? Now that is his response to what was said in verse 4, For while one saith, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Look in chapter 1, verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. That was the issue. Some were saying, I'm a Paul. Others were saying, I prefer Apollos. Some were saying, I like Peter best. And then the real pious one said, I don't listen to any man. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel there's more benefit and spiritual growth from Paul's preaching. I get a lot more out of his preaching. Somebody disagrees, not me. I get a whole lot more out of Apollos' preaching. He's a lot better speaker, mighty in the scriptures, an eloquent man. I'm moved by his preaching. I'm inspired by his preaching. Paul seems kind of dry to me. Then somebody else says, I like Peter. Peter's been around a whole lot more than these other two guys have. He was with the Lord when the Lord walked on the earth. And what boldness he demonstrates. I, I benefit more from Peter's preaching. That's who I like. And then the real pious one said, I don't listen to any of them. I listen to Christ. He's the one I want to hear. I don't want to listen to a man. I want to listen to Christ. Now, what does Paul say about that? Verse 4 of chapter 3. For while one saith, I'm of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not yet carnal? You're thinking and acting like unbelievers in thinking that way. Pitting one preacher against another, thinking one is of more benefit than another. You know, when I was thinking about this issue uh, going on in the church, and I can see different factions getting together and discussing uh, which preacher you benefited from the most by listening to him. Uh, there's some you benefit more than being under them than somebody else. What I thought about, this is the same principle as infant baptism. Somebody's saying, well, where are you coming up with that? Well, the people who practice infant baptism, I'm amazed that anybody does it because there's nothing in the scripture about it. Uh, I've heard people say, well, it takes the place of um, circumcision. Show me the verse where it says that. Uh, that's not in the Bible. But when somebody practices infant baptism, they won't say, well, I think my infant's saved by this. I think this makes them saved by going, being sprinkled or whatever. I don't know of anyone who thinks that. But they do think this. 
they're more likely to be saved. They're more likely to experience spiritual benefit. I mean, we're making a promise to make them uh, live under the fear and admonition of the Lord in that sense. So I think that that way of thinking is the same thing. Um, the, it can't hurt. You'd be better off. You'd be more spiritually beneficial by doing this than uh, by listening to this man or that man. Now, Paul asks this question in verse 5 with regard to that thinking. You're better off listening to this preacher. You're, I'm not saying you'll be uh, saved just simply because you listen to him, but you're better off. You're more likely to be saved. You're more likely to experience benefit and, and growth through this man or that man, pitting one against the other. Paul then asks this question, who then is Paul? It's a good question, isn't it? Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? I can say a lot of things about who Paul is. You know, I was reading um, some secular literature. What well, that means non-biblical, it wasn't even religious. And they were talking about the five most influential men to Western civilization, Western thought. Paul was in that group. The Apostle Paul. He's one of the men who have influenced uh, thinking, the way we think. Who was Paul? Well, uh, look what he says about himself in this chapter, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. He says, God made me a wise master builder, an architect. Do you know that the Lord used Paul more than anybody else to expound the gospel? What a blessing this man has been under the hand of God. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1. It's not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, verse 2. He's talking about himself, and he speaks with such humility, and I think as much as anything else, he's talking about the new man. I knew a man, the new man. The old man's not brought into heaven. If he was brought into heaven, he says, I don't know if I was in heaven or on earth. I don't know what it was. But look at the humility with which he speaks when he says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows such a one caught up into the third heaven. Now, the third heaven, the first is where the birds fly, the second is where the galaxies are, the third is somewhere else, it's where God is. Of course, I don't understand all that. But Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven heaven and as a matter of fact he said i heard unspeakable things which are not lawful for a man to utter when somebody tells you they've been to heaven if they have anything to say about it you know they weren't really there <laughs> i just don't believe any 
a testimony somebody gives. I was in heaven. One time a lady said, I've been in heaven four times. Died four times one time. Oh, I said, oh, okay. Um, but he was taught directly the gospel by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what was going on. Who's Paul? Well, he's a man that was brought up into the third heavens and Jesus Christ taught him the gospel directly. Now, look what he goes on to say about that. He says in verse 3, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows how that he was caught up into paradise and he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory. Yet of myself, I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I will not be a fool, for I will say the truth. And now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me, or that heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me. Who gave it to him? God did. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now you put yourself in Paul's place. I put myself, if I was brought up into the third heaven and you weren't, man, I must be somebody. But the Lord delivered Paul from that kind of thinking by giving him this thorn in the flesh. What was it? Who knows? But it was a thorn in the flesh and it was very painful. But the Lord brought him up into the third heavens. Who is Paul? Well, he was brought up into the third heavens. Uh, you remember his conversion experience. It's recorded in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. How the Lord appeared to him in a light above the brightness of the sun. Who is Paul? The one the Lord appeared to. Remember when Ananias came to him and said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, and hear the words of his mouth, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what you've seen and heard. Who was Paul? The one God determined would be his witness. What about Ephesians? The book of Ephesians. We know that the Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and someone once said that it's the most sublime of the New Testament epistles, and I certainly wouldn't argue against that. Uh, he deals with things in Ephesians, eternal union, the, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in salvation in chapter 1. He goes into chapter 5 about how marriage is nothing less than a picture of Christ and his relationship with his church and his oneness with his church. I mean, sublime things. But look, turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 3, and he tells us how he knew. Who is Paul? Well, look here. Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to youward, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. How did Paul know all this stuff? Because God revealed it to him. Perhaps it happened in heaven at that time. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it's now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? Who is Paul? Pretty impressive resume, isn't it? How the Lord used this man, the Apostle Paul. Who is Apollos? Well, he's introduced to us in Acts chapter 18, if you'll remember. The scripture says he was an eloquent man. And he was mighty in the scriptures. This man knew the Old Testament like no one they'd ever come across. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him preach, they took him to a side. I think he, he just knew Old Testament truth and they gave him uh, the New Testament truth and he started preaching Christ more perfectly and, he, and more clearly after this and he mightily convinced the Jews, the scripture says, and that publicly, that Jesus is the Christ. And he was such a, 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 a used man under, in the New Testament. People said, boy, I love his preaching. I, he's mighty in the scriptures. I'm just moved by his preaching. He, he, he speaks to me much more than Paul does. Paul's logical. He can, uh, Paulus is moving. Who is Apollos? You know, if you compared Paul and Apollos, you know, people in the church of Corinth said, with regard to the apostle Paul, his bodily presence is weak. There's nothing impressive about this man. His speech is, is contemptible. And he said regarding his own speech, his, his speaking ability, he said, I'm rude in speech, meaning I'm unskilled in speech. Maybe he's like Moses. I mean, Moses said, I, I'm slow of tongue. I can't speak. And if you compared Paul and Apollos, Apollos was a mighty speaker, moving people. Paul said, I'm rude in speech, but not in knowledge. Not in understanding. Well, somebody says, I prefer Paul. Somebody else says, I prefer Apollos. And that's when he asked this question in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then... Neither is he that planteth anything. Neither he that watereth. Who is Paul? Nothing. Who is Apollos? Nothing. Instruments. Ministers by whom you believed. Instruments. Implements. A shovel. A rake. Plow, hoe. You know, you look at somebody with this big, beautiful garden and you don't think, oh, what kind of shovel did they use? What kind of plow did they use? That must have been a great plow. Oh, what about that? What? You don't talk about the instruments. One's as good as another. The one who used the instruments. That is the point. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? 
instruments, implements, a garden rake. That's it. By whom you believed. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Now Paul had already said in this epistle, in chapter 1, verse 21, he said, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. This is what God uses, the preaching of the gospel. Does that put any special place for the preacher? Is our clergy and a laity, there's the preachers, there's the servants of God, and then there's the common folks. That kind of thinking is anathema. It's evil. All of God's people are God's clergy. Clergy and lay people, that's the most ridiculous, man-made. There's nothing to it. Paul said, who is Paul? He's nothing. Who is Apollos? He is Nothing, an instrument. Do you glorify the preacher when you say it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe? No. He's just the shovel. He's just the rake. He's just the plow. He's an instrument that God uses. He is not above anyone else. The Lord gave you a man to communicate his gospel to you and the emphasis is God sending this man, you, a preacher. It's not the preacher, but God sending him with the message he gives him. This is the way the Lord speaks. And you know, I know in my own experience, you know when I have assurance that God is speaking to me? When I hear the preaching of the word. That's when the Lord speaks to me. I, I would rather hear than preach. And it takes just as much grace to hear as it does to preach. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, we, I sowed seed, Apollos came back behind me and watered it. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I didn't give the increase, neither did Apollos. God gave the increase. Now, here's what this means. Salvation is of the Lord. That's what Jonah found out, isn't it? When he was in that bell, the belly of the whale, he concludes at the end of that prayer, Salvation is of the Lord. And that's when the well spit him out. <laughs> Salvation is of the Lord. Now what does that mean? Salvation is of the Lord. It's a term I use probably every week at some point during the uh, preaching of the gospel. Every aspect of salvation is of the Lord. It's God doing his own work. I love that scripture. Somebody read it the other day. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. Who began it? He did. Now, whatever you're talking about in, with regard to salvation, it's of the Lord. Election. It's of the Lord. 
He chose you. And He didn't look to see whether you would be able to help Him or add anything to Him or whether you'd be a good witness or whether you'd be a good preacher. Or a good... He chose you simply because He would. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. Election is of the Lord. Redemption. Well, let's talk about the incarnation. Jesus Christ. This, this amazes me. Jesus Christ became the second person of the Trinity. The God-man became flesh. He was in his mother's womb as a seed. And he did this first because he loved his father and he wanted to glorify his father. But let me give you another reason he did it. He did it because he loved me. He did it because he loved me. He was willing to become flesh. He was willing to be made sin so that I would be with him forever. And that's true of every single believer. He loved you. That's why he became flesh. He loved you. And he was going to make sure you were going to be just like him and be with him forever. His redeeming work on Calvary's tree when he was nailed to the cross, that's of the Lord. Why, the scripture says him being de delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. This is God's purpose. This is, this is God's will, what took place. He willed his son to die on Calvary's tree. And by his death, he put away sin. When he said it is finished, sin was gone. He was delivered for our offenses. Raised again for our justification. Justifications of the Lord. I mean, to think that I stand before God right now while I'm talking to you. And I'm very well aware of my sinfulness and my weakness. And yet I stand before God as one who's never sinned. That's what justification is. I've never sinned. I have the very righteousness. Christ never sinned. And if I have his righteousness, I never sinned. Christ never will sin. Me either. I stand perfect and complete in him. That's of the Lord. The increase is of the Lord, isn't it? Every aspect of salvation. If I'm born again, you know why? He birthed me by his spirit. That's of the Lord. Do I persevere? Do I continue in the faith? Yes, I do. But I know why. That's of the Lord. I'm kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. It's God that giveth the increase. <clears throat> Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Who is Paul? Paul saw them setting up one preacher against another and, and all the the wrong ways of thinking that came out of it. You say, well, how could, how could believers get so messed up and think something like that? Well, because we're flesh. I mean, this was a church. This, these were real believers. And look how messed up they were. And you and I will be just that, that messed up apart from the grace of God. Now, look what Paul says of himself. Who is Paul? Verse 11. I'm become a fool in glory and you've compelled me for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles. Though I be. What? Nothing. 
nothing. Who is Paul? Nothing. Who is Apollos? Nothing. Instruments by whom you believed. You take every preacher, and I mean a gospel preacher. I'm not talking about a professional preacher. You take every preacher, and what are they? Nothing, and they know it. I know it. I know it. You're nothing. Right. Right. And I'm looking at a bunch of other nothings. Isn't that so? But I tell you this. I'm somebody in Christ Jesus. And you're somebody in Christ Jesus. And our uh, sense of well-being isn't in anything we do. It's in who he is and we're in Paul. You know, he never even called himself the Apostle Paul, just Paul. Paul. An apostle. He recognized that God made him an apostle. I'm an apostle by the will of God. That's my credentials. God willed me into this position. It's his purpose. But I'm just Paul. No Reverend Paul or Right Reverend Paul or Pastor Paul, or the, even the Apostle Paul, just Paul, just Paul, an Apostle of Jesus Christ. God took this nothing and made him an Apostle for his own glory to declare the gospel for the calling out of his sheep. Paul recognized that. Now look back in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, verse 8. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. You know, there's no competition in the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's what they were doing with Paul and Cephas and Apollos. They were making them kind of a competition thing. Who's, who's being the most used? Who's being the most blessed? Who, who is it that seems to be the one who, who uh, you get more out of. And like I said, can't you see how easy it would be to fall into that kind of thinking? I mean, it's easy. And yet this is exactly what Paul is combating because whenever, you, whenever, we get, whenever that is an emphasis, Christ is always no longer the emphasis. That's the danger of this. And that's why he's bringing this up. Who is Paul? Who is Paulus but ministers by whom you believe? Salvation is of the Lord, not of Paul or Apollos. I'm sure it grated on Paul to hear these preachers' comparisons, pitting one against another. He said, you're carnal. It's the product of envy, strife, and division. Now, I esteem, and you esteem, anybody who preaches the gospel. We esteem them very highly. And we should. The scripture says to. If they esteem themselves highly. And think of themselves as something more than a nothing. I don't have the same view of them. 
and neither do you. Though I be nothing. Now look what he says in verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now we're going to get more into that next time as we go on into this passage of Scripture. But let me say this right off the bat. I know from the light of other Scriptures, this is not talking about one person getting a higher reward in heaven than another person. Uh, when that is dealt with in Matthew chapter 20, Everybody got the same thing, didn't they? In the parable of the workers in the vineyard, the one-hour workers and the 12-hour workers were, get it, were given the precise same thing. Uh, as far as that goes, didn't Christ say, I am thy exceeding great reward? He is our reward. There's no question about that. And this is not talking about uh, higher rewards in heaven. And actually, in the context, as we look at this, he's talking about preachers here. When he's talking about some building, Paul said, I've laid the foundation, take heed how you build upon. And he talked about those who use wood, hay, and stubble, and you, those who use gold, silver, and precious stones. Uh, we're going to get more into that. Uh, but he did say, uh, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now the reward spoken of here is... Well, let me, let me show you in, in the scriptures what it is. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9. Now, his own reward according to his own labor. Now, understand this. The preaching of the gospel is a labor. You know, somebody uh, once, I think it was Austin Gruber, really. He said he wanted to be a preacher because he only had to work two hours a week and that's it. You know, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the direction I want to go. I think it was Austin. I'm, uh, but uh, Maybe some of you all thought that. But uh, at, any, at any rate, the, the, the work of the ministry, preaching the gospel, is a labor. And every time I preach, by the grace of God, without exception, I give it my all. I don't ever want to ever get up when I know I haven't given myself to the prayer and the ministry of the word with regard to everything I do. I never, you know, I've, I've heard preachers actually say, well, I didn't have time to prepare. <sighs> no, you need, to, you need to stop doing something else and prepare. I don't care what it was. You never go into the pulpit without doing your best. It's a labor. And there's a reward in that labor. What is that reward? Well, you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. And it's not talking about some kind of reward in heaven either. If I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. 
That's the reward. To not abuse. That's the reward. Is that all? That's a great reward. As far as heaven goes, my reward is Christ. And your reward is Christ. And it's, I'm not going to get some kind of higher, you know, soul, you know, the, the fundamentals got the soul winners, crowns, and the, you know, the different rewards you get. No, no, my reward is Christ. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Verse 17, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. That's the first thing he said. You remember he's nothing. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying weight of the Jews, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Same message in public and private, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. There's the reward. And the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. If the Lord enables me to do that, that's my reward. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 6, for I am now ready to be offered. I'm ready to die. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. Well, how's that? I finished my course. What do you mean by that? I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Do you love his appearing when he stood as your surety before time began? Do you love his appearing when he appeared upon this earth and kept God's law perfectly? Do you love his appearing when he was nailed to the cross for you? Do you love his appearing when he was raised from the dead and went to the Father? And do you love his appearing right now as your intercessor? And won't you love his appearing when he returns and every eye sees him? We love his appearing, don't we? And that's the reward, not just of the preacher. Everyone who loves his appearing.
there was a, I've, I've given this story before, but it, it never fails to speak to me. Um, there was a young man that was actually the heir to the Borden Dairy uh, Empire. His parents were millionaires. And he was supposed to run the show. And he wanted to be a missionary. And his dad was opposed to it. He didn't want it to happen. But the man wouldn't be uh, swayed away from it. And he went to, um, I can't remember what country it was, but it, it was Egypt. He went to Egypt in order to learn Aramaic so he could go to China to preach. He left everything in order to do that. And do you know, three weeks later, he was dead. He got spiral meningitis, and he died, and nothing was accomplished. A wasted life? I mean, he didn't do anything. What good could he have done if he would have stayed? But he just goes there and dies. No one hears the gospel through this man. And he's still buried in Egypt to this day. But they sent his Bible back and some of his belongings back to his dad. And his dad opened that book and it had these three statements. No reserve. No retreat. And no regrets. Now that's the way I want you and I, by his grace, to serve the Lord. Not hoping for a higher reward in heaven, but because of who he is. No reserve, no retreat, and no regrets. We're getting ready to take the Lord's table. The Lord said, this do in remembrance of me. The reason he said that is how often do you and I forget the Lord? In his mercy, in his grace. He never forgets us. But in his mercy and in his grace, he's given us the Lord's table to remember his broken body and his shed blood as everything in my salvation. When we take the Lord's table, we are remembering that because of what he did, we are clean before God without sin, perfect in his sight. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus and the salvation that's in him. We ask that as we eat the bread and drink the wine, we will remember his broken body for our sin and his shed blood for our complete redemption. O oh Lord, enable us to do this in remembrance of thy son. In his name we pray. Amen.